Brandon Steiner, and this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. He did a nice job on Fox. You enjoy that? Have fun? I, I did have fun, and I was super nervous about it, uh, total novice. And I told my family and friends and my daughters, I said, if you see me on TV and you press mute, I'll do great. So I think I you did fantastic. I could have, I mean, I think you could have held it up on your own. I mean, and you know, we saw Pete, we, you know, he's the uh, ultimate over-preparer or complete preparation, but he came in with like a stack of notes and everybody else brought in nothing. Like he's with five other Hall of Famers and, and Alex, I mean, were you, how, how much were you preparing for that? Uh, you know, Pete and Frank gave me the hardest time ever. I mean, there would be, producers were in our ears talking, you know, two minutes to the green light, a minute 30, a minute, and I would have notes and I'd be just writing things down and trying to formulate what I was gonna tell the audience about what I saw. And you know, Pete is over there whistling. He doesn't have anything, not one note. And he's looking at Frank saying, look at this guy. I said, what are you gonna talk for five hours? We're on for 12 minutes. <laughs> and then as the, time, the camera was going off, I'm putting it on the paperweight and just try to look like very professional and like Peter Jennings like. Well, I thought you did great. Let's go back to the beginning for a minute here, because you know, every time I get together with you, and we've been talking for a while, I'm always surprised, something I find out about you, but Alex Emanuel Rodriguez, you come to New York City, you're four years old, your parents own a shoe store. Mm-hmm. How pivotal was your childhood and growing up? What was that like soon after you moved to Miami? What, what was going on? How pivotal was that, those growing up years? So the way it worked out, I was born in New York, one to four, and then I was in DR, Dominican Republic, where my parents are from, from four to about eight, and then I arrived in Miami at the Boys and Girls Club at nine, and I've been in Miami ever since. So New York and Miami have been home for the last, so since 2004. But growing up in New York was just an incredible privilege. Um, Grew up in Washington Heights, uh, right by Yeshiva University, and my father, um, who I always wanted to be like my father, he played baseball, and he was... Uh, a businessman, and I always remember looking in his closet when I was a young lad in Pampers or two or three years old. He always had all these cool-looking dark suits, and I always said, boy, I want a closet with all those suits like that. And uh, he was really good at numbers, and he was a math guy, and he loved baseball. And growing up, ever since I was in Pampers, we used to always have the Yankee games on and and the Mets games on. And uh, listening to Phil Rizzuto, I can just hear his voice, and listening to Tim McCarver's, I mean, these guys were like professors in my life. You know, when I hear their voice, no matter how um, poor we were, uh, at seven o'clock when you sat in front of, you know, Ralph Kiner and Tim McCarver, and then you watched Kiner's Corner, it was like therapy, and it was. Hold on, we gotta take a little. I mean, dude, how many hours a week and a day do you watch baseball? You got some issues. I do. I have issues. All my teammates will tell you that. I mean, oh, yeah. how much? I mean, I do. Do you watch? All day, and I mean, a lot were. I've tried to bring out the calculator to see actually how many games I've watched, because I want to be really accurate when I speak, and it has to be in the thousands. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, my teammates, a lot of times, if I put on the game in the clubhouse, they'll leave the room. They're like, no, 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 no more baseball. We have to play the game. We have to talk about the game. So I love it. Uh, it's just the greatest game in the world, and uh, I wish more kids play it, and that, that's our goal. So you're in Miami. Boys and Girls Club, big, huge to you. I probably maybe even, that was kind of almost like a safe haven maybe for you. But where, 
did things get a little off track in your childhood as far as um, you were obviously a great athlete growing up, but at what point did you all of a sudden realize you had something special going on? Yeah, I wasn't a great athlete growing up. You know, I was a summer kid, and there's many studies about you know, kids in sports and kids in academics, and I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old daughter, and the debates are endless about um, do you want to be the older kid in the class or do you want to be the younger kid in the class? And there's been studies about, you know, if you go to an Ivy League school and you're in the middle of the pack or if you go to a normal school and you're at the top of the class, and some people feel very strongly about both. Um, I'm not sure where I feel about that, but as a young kid, I remember being 10, 11, 12, you know the difference. How old are you, young man? Nine. So when you're nine years old, this beautiful young man over here, when you play when you're nine and then you play with 11-year-olds, that's a huge difference, huge. And if you're 11 to 13, it's just enormous. But I was good enough just to survive, and I always played with the kids that were older than me. And uh, I didn't embarrass myself, but I always hit eighth or ninth in the lineup, so much so that I couldn't even play shortstop because it was too far. So I had to play second base. And I always had good hands, so they put me on the field. So I hit second base and hit ninth. But I started realizing once I went to the US Olympic team when I was about 15, and my roommates were Tory Hunter, who just retired, who's a great friend, and also A.J. Hinge, who's the manager of the Houston Astros. We were roommates. And it was around that time that I started saying, boy, these are the best players in the country. I'm actually, I have a chance here. And I was, an up, I was gonna be an upcoming junior. But once I was a junior and all my buddies, no longer I was like the nine-year-old, all my friends were now in college. And I looked around and I'm like, I'm playing with little kids. And they all happened to meet my age. So in my situation, it helped. I'm not sure for others. Did things happen a little too quick yeah, from that point going forward? I mean, a lot happened because, I don't know, next thing you pick your head up, you're playing the major leagues at 18 or 19, or was it that quick? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, a lot of my great fortune as a young man was my mother, who was a single parent, my mother and father separated at the age of like nine or 10, um, my father got down to Miami, tried to open a shoe store again. It didn't have much traction. Uh, he felt Miami was a much more challenging place for a young entrepreneur. Um, so he came back up to New York. My mother ended up taking on two jobs, and we paid rent every month. I remember our rent was $550, and it felt like uh, $500,000 because it came fast and furious every month. And uh, <clears throat> my mother was a secretary. I remember she was like an immigration secretary in the morning. And then at nighttime, she, was, uh, she waited on table. She was a, a waitress at a place called Latin America. And I remember as a kid, she would come home on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and I would always take her money from her pouch and count the money. And Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, it was like 28, 29, 30. I was like, all right, Mom, we had a pretty good night. But then come Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, you would count 65, 70, some nights $75. I said, man, mom, we're so rich. I'm so happy. <laughs> so that was a pretty big deal for us. University of Miami. First of all, you've been, uh, I couldn't believe it. But, you know, every time I mention to somebody down in Florida about, you know, that I'm doing something with you, the field comes up. You know, you donated, uh, I think it was uh, $3 million? Four, report? but Four. who's counting? <laughs> How big, I mean, do you almost gonna go to University of Miami? Was, do you regret not going to University of Miami? Or because that's a fun school. And you were, you were at that point, you know, a little football, maybe a little basketball. Could have probably done it all or no? 
Yeah, so I'm going to bring you guys back to my kind of teenage years uh, as a young lad in Miami. And of course, we didn't have the Miami Marlins back then. Um, a lot of people that lived in Miami grew up watching the Yankees, the Cubs, the Braves, the three teams that had cable television. I mean, the Hurricanes meant everything to me as a kid. Um, I remember uh, when I was 12, 13 years old, we would sneak in right after school on Friday, and we would, we would basically be there all weekend. <clears throat> and we would go from the Boys and Girls Club <clears throat> to the University of Miami, and Ron Frazier was a legendary coach. He was kind of like our John Wooden. And all you wanted to do as a kid is earn a scholarship to the University of Miami. And of course, we had a football powerhouse. And I wanted to be a quarterback there, because I played quarterback in high school. And I wanted to be a shortstop there. And I said, boy, what, what an incredible situation here. Because I played good baseball, and I passed my SAT, and I have a 3.0 GPA, I can get a scholarship. I mean, what a country, right? And uh, that was my dream all along. And when I was signed by the Mariners, um, which there's a side story to that that I, I can back up later uh, that involved the Dodgers. Uh, it was a really, really tough decision for me. But I was the number one pick in, in the first round, just like Ken Griffey was a few years back before me. Uh, I was 93. I think he was 88 or 89. I'm not sure. Maybe 89. And <clears throat> I really wanted to be a quarterback, and I really wanted to play shortstop. And I knew that going to college would be the coolest thing in the world. And I would give it an opportunity to mature and meet great people and basically formulate my friendships for the rest of my life, like some of you guys all did in college. Um, and it came down to the 11th hour. And I remember uh, my mom was very courageous in the negotiation. I was so impressed that she was negotiating so hard. Um, she was fully in charge with my sister. And it was basically like a Saturday or Sunday. And Monday was the first day of, at the University of Miami. So basically, I had bought my books my book bag, I was ready to go. You were going to college. That was the plan. And, and we, were, we had an advisor, and he says, look, this is not, it's not a threat. We're going to school, and we're so far off right now. I said, OK, well, it's not, it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, so I, I was split. I could have gone either way. And we're going to school, and finally the Mariners called one more time. They said, hey, <clears throat> can we have one more meeting with your mother? Uh, I said, sure. So that's Sunday, right before school, 24 hours away from me stepping into class. And if you step into class, the NCAA rules says that you have to stay there for at least three years. So it was a three-year commitment. And my mother said, sure. So they started negotiating that Sunday around 8 o'clock in Coconut Grove. And somewhere on 3.30 in the morning, we got arranged. Uh, we, we agreed to a deal. And I said, I just have two requests. And everyone said, oh, God, this, you know, every deal can always get sideways at the 11th hour. I said, number one, can I have uh, two dozen bats? Instead of having pro stock wood, can I have major league wood? And it is a really big difference. Um, and the big league wood has your name on it, and it's 271. is a bat that I started using 21 years ago. I still use today. And then I said, Seattle is so far, and my, I want my mother to come out and visit me at least three times a year. Came the organization, fly my mom first class three times a year during the season for 94, 95. And they said, that's it. I said, yeah, that's it. All right. I said, boom. We shake hands, and uh, I became a Mariner. Did you think you were going to the Mariners right away, or was there some other teams that were trying to, uh, get, trying to get you? Yeah, because Seattle was so far away, and I said, boy, just my luck. Miami to Seattle. Like, who, can, who could have thunk this, right? Um, the Dodgers had the number two pick, and I had gone to Vero Beach to visit with Tommy Lasorda, and I had a workout with Fred Clare, who was the GM at the time. Yeah. 
and uh, O'Malley was the owner. And obviously, like the Yankees, the Dodgers have a very rich tradition. And they also had a rich tradition of having great young shortstops. And I said, boy, that would be just the perfect place for me to come in. And now they needed a shortstop. And I called the Mariners about a week before the draft. And I said, guys, look, uh, I know you have the number one pick. I know you're deciding between Darren Dryford, who went to Wichita State, or, or me. But please don't draft me. I'm not going to sign. Um, I want to be a Dodger. They were like, great. Hung up the phone a week later. <laughs> Seattle Mariners, you're the first pick. <laughs> I said, great. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, so that's how my Mariners career started. But it was a blessing in disguise. I got uh, to jump forward a little. You know, this season, so confusing to me. I mean, I just remember talking to you a year ago, literally, for a, a long time. And I got off the phone. I said, I don't know if this guy is crazy. Because you said, I'm coming back. I'm working harder than ever. Um, a surprise. I mean, did, did, I mean, did you ever think you weren't going to come back? And was last season a surprise? And what was really what was the thing that drove you to get there to, to have the kind of season you had? I mean, it was a crazy, crazy process. And I remember that conversation we had. Um, but my ago. wife, you know, my wife was wondering. I was like an hour and a half late yeah. for dinner. She's like, yeah, where, yeah. "Where are you?" Yeah. And then after I told her, she still didn't believe me. Well, I didn't care. I didn't have anywhere to go, so yeah. I, was just, I, was, <laughs> I was just bored, so I, I like keeping you on the phone. But, yeah, I mean, everything was a surprise. I mean, I, I cannot begin to describe how dark those days were. Uh, I created this incredible hole for myself, 13 and 14. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was terrible. And sometimes you, you have advisors. We're going to talk a little bit about mentors and... Uh, you have lawyers, and you know, for me, the healing process started when you wish you can blame those guys, the advisors or the lawyers, but at the end of the day, I had to look in the mirror and realize that this is on me. I'm the quarterback of this team. I put this team together. I made every decision, and it was brutal, ugly, bad decisions, and it's on me. I have to own it, and uh, once I took full control and responsibility of all my poor decisions, then I thought that the healing process began shortly after that. You and I spoke. And uh, even then, though, I still had some enormous challenges I had to get through uh, internally with my family, with my friends, with my daughters. Teammates. Teammates. I mean, that was even further along, right? I mean, I needed to do a lot of work uh, personally, professionally, working on myself. Uh, digging really, really deep into my childhood. Uh, sometimes as adults, um, the, the, the back, the history is so painful that we create blind spots and we forget. We forget some of the ugly things that happened in your life early on. And then you build a straight line to decisions you make as an adult. And, you know, is, it, is an evolution you try to always, you never really get there, you just continue to work at it. And I'm, a, I'm still a work in progress. You seem a little emotional about that. Is this something particularly that you know, it gets to you, was that, was that an emotional real time for you when you're going through that? Yeah, look, obviously I, the time off, uh, the suspension that I served was, I think when I look back five years from now, we all meet again for another party, I would say that that whole biogenesis scandal is single-handedly the best, greatest thing that ever happened in my life. Because it gave me an opportunity to take stock into my life, to look in the mirror and realize that you are responsible and accountable for everything you do, every decision you make. And 
and that's important. But the other thing, Brandon, that I thought, I think is what you sensed that I got a little emotion about was, no matter what I had to face in New York or the media or my teammates, um, it was the one conversation I had to have with my daughters um, about a month before spring training. And I thought about this talk for like four months and I needed four months of waking up and actually rehearsing what I'm gonna tell my daughters. And uh, fortunate for me, Cynthia, uh, my ex-wife, uh, their mother, um, is an incredible lady and, uh, and a very good friend. And she has her master's in psychology. And she and I together, um, she kind of got me through that. And obviously, I broke down. And it was a very emotional talk. And uh, I didn't know what they would say. And the truth of the matter is, Brandon, if they said, Dad, we, we want you to stop playing baseball, that would have been it for me. But, um, so you thought about it. Maybe there was a chance you weren't going to come back and play. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. I, I mean, like, I would wake up at night sometimes <laughs> in the middle of the night at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I would see my team playing in New York or Oakland or, you know, the Rangers, and so painful to watch on TV. And I'm looking up at the ceiling kind of wondering, like, how in the world did I put myself in this mess? What, what have I done to myself? And it was incredibly painful. So regrets? In a nutshell, I mean, do you go, if you were to do anything over again, would you, do you feel like you went through that process and now you're a better person, or do you regret maybe just even going down some of those roads? Oh, I mean, obviously I have incredible, incredible regrets, and I wish um, I would have made better decisions. Um, but in another way, um, those decisions, if you're able to overcome them and you know, the one thing I will say this is you don't have to be defined by all our mistakes, right? Um, how you come back matters too. And I think we can all take that to heart. Who's living a perfect life anyway? For the most part, I mean, but you get, you're on a mic, you know, you're on the stage, you're on a microscope, so we get to kind of share all the good and the bad. What do you tell, uh, what do you tell a 10 year old? What, what advice do you give them having looked back on your life? What do you tell the 10 year old Alex? Well, I don't think... you had a chance to go back. I don't think I'm in a position to give anyone advice. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's, wow. that's for sure. <laughs> well, it's like I told Jimmy Fallon, um, I wouldn't kiss any mirrors uh, if you ever did a photo shoot. And if you want to uh, get a suntan, just do it at home, not in Central Park. <laughs> All right. Um, you know something? I think it's time to bring on the closer. All right, let's do it. And we got a couple more things to talk about, and we got to see what kind of teammate, and we'll, we'll see how good Mo really was. Because you All guys right. never faced each other. No, 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 we did face each other a lot. You did? Yeah. You, you he pitched he'll, against he'll you. Tell you about it. All right. I'll tell you. Well, he'll tell you, he got you out every time. <laughs> but without a doubt, one of the greatest closures of all time, and one of the greatest people of all time, the greatest closure of all time. Probably one of the best people I know, Mariano Rivera. Now, let's get things started. We got to clear the air here. So, I'll, I'll, you did? No, I didn't. No. I want. I, listen, I, I figured, you know. I know how serious you are about being prompt and on time. So, the, and I cannot imagine that Yankee clubhouse, the shenanigans. 
Now, you always had a little leeway if you got to the game a little late because you, know, you didn't go to work for like three, four hours, and maybe sometimes you didn't even have to show up. So you had a little leeway, but did, were guys late or were there fines or should we fine him? Or <laughs> Oh, big time. I mean, <laughs> big time. And you probably fine. have to find him some percentage of his annual income. No, no, no. no. Sometimes just a dollar fine or a $5 fine. The government fine. takes enough of my percentage. No, with, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have kangaroo court and then we find him a lot. Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine. I told you already, I was born ready. Yes, you were. And I don't know if people realize how busy you are and how committed and focused you are into your next purpose and passage. What, 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 what kind of give everybody an idea of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Because it's not living the celebrity life. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really show. actually amazing if you can kind of give, me an, give everyone an idea of like what, what you fill your days up with. Well, I mean, uh, uh, since I retired, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but I didn't know how uh, big this was. So I'm thinking to come back and play baseball again. <laughs> well, <laughs> we could use a closer. I have a video, I'm not going to put it on now, where you said you were going to come work for Steiner. You'd hope one day. Uh, you work for me. No, no for the Steiner. There's no question, but. I just, I caught him on her when he was like, I think three years on the age. He's like, I'd like to work for Steiner Sports one day. I'm like, save that video. We need that. No, no. Day. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, um, working for, uh, we have a church now in New Rochelle and, uh, where uh, my wife is uh, the pastor and uh, also working with the community of New Rochelle and the surroundings so we can uh, be more effective with the youngsters there and, and make sure that we are positive in the community. So that, saying that, requires a lot of time. You know, it's only one of me. So I had to make sure that I talk to everyone and, and visit a lot of people at the same time. And it's impossible, but it's hard, but not impossible. So, I mean, I don't, I don't complain, though. You know, I, I'm, I'm okay with that, I mean, because I do, I'm doing what I want to do. Uh, I love what I do, and uh, that, that, is, that is my desire. I have to just elaborate a little bit because I think you're, I don't know, I mean, if there's snow in front of the church, he's shoveling. Now, I drove by, I saw this. I didn't want to tell you I saw you, but yeah, you but, uh, made, uh, made, uh, made me go out and this, shovel that's too. That's the thing, exactly. Yeah. Why, yeah. if you saw me there shoveling, why didn't you stop? <laughs> Because, yes, I was there shopping. yes. <laughs> I mean, I just want to get you the idea. I mean, this is moment-to-moment, uh, -moment, hands-on. And I've, I've called him with opportunities. If you're in the middle of your responsibilities with community, with kids, that's everything. Yes, that's everything. That's everything. For me, it is. What's bigger, the World Series or the work that you're doing now. What gets you more <laughs> It's two different up? things, two different things. You know, World Series is something that I, as a player, every player wants to get to the World Series. And what I'm doing, yes, is, is, is bigger than that. Reasons why I say that because you're changing lives. You're touching people's lives that you don't even imagine. And when you see the smile of those kids or those families that don't have much, when you come to their house and you present them with this, 
basket of food or, or clothing or, or toys or, or if there are children that they need to go to school and they don't have supply, when you provide that, that's a big, big uh, 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 smile that you receive. And on top of that, sending the olders to, uh, to college or high school perhaps, you know, trying to change their life to make them better. That's what it is all about. You're committed. Oh, 100%. As committed to the cutter as you are to helping kids? Yes. Yes, sir. I got to ask you something about our friend here, Alex. We, on, on one of our rides home after a game, I, I, I think, I think you would given up a few runs that night, so you weren't in a good mood. But because, you know, people don't see that side, how much you care. I love to get a ride home when things have not gone well because he says it doesn't bother him. I forgot about it. That was, but I know it does. So we were talking about all the players that let you down. We, you know, I tried to get out of you, but you won't get, you never want to talk badly about your teammates. I said, what's up with Alex? What kind of teammate is he? What kind of player is he? And you stopped. He said, there is nobody that works harder, nobody more prepared. What kind of teammate is Alex? Well, I mean, uh, uh, you want the truth or, or, or the, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I want, I want the... Not want the, the truth. You, not want the, truth. The, you want the, uh, <laughs> the, the real one. This is, the, this is unfiltered. We want the... Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I always, I always have... Uh, I always have respect, Alex. Uh, as my brother, I don't see him as my teammate, but as my brother, because, I mean, I always try to, uh, to see the good that is in him. You know, I mean, we all do things, but at the same time, the way that he prepared to play the game. I, most of the time, I had to tell him, hey, listen, you have to spend time with us. <laughs> because it's, it's all about hitting and thinking baseball. He's eating chips and he's watching baseball and <laughs> having a meeting with me. Oh, let's put the game. I said, you crazy? <laughs> you know, this guy leads baseball 25, 7, 24, 7, and 365. Amazing, the whole year he's thinking about baseball. So, I mean, Definitely, in, when you have a teammate like that, that you know that's committed, you want that type of player on your side. You know? but, I, but I learned to, to know more than him and more deeper from him in different aspects aspect in, in life, perhaps. You know, so, I mean, uh, yes, I mean, uh, great teammate. You know, I mean, again, you know, I, I always had to tell him, hey, you have to spend time with us because baseball, We'll stay, and we will go. So, you know, always trying to make sure that he brings the best that he has. Was it a lesson learned, you know, being his teammate? And is, was, was he holding those clubhouse meetings where you bring guys in and hold them accountable? Did you ever encounter one of those? Where... I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to describe, Mo, because there's no one like him. Uh, I'll be entering my 22nd spring training this year, and I can say that I've never played with a teammate like Mariano. And obviously, we all know his greatness on the field. I think we all feel the same way, unanimous, by far the greatest closer of all time. Um, the best big game pitcher I've ever been around, and someone who I just absolutely admired and was in awe of. And uh, the privilege of thinking when I was nine years old, what's your name, young man? Anthony, my man, what a name, I love it. Um, and I was nine years old to think about I would wear that jersey you're wearing, the pinstripes, and get the ball from Jeter and look at the bite baseball, commissioner's signature on it, and hand it to Mo. I mean, holy moly, what, what a country, right? And uh, 
just to see the way this guy handled stress, pressure situation, always owned it, was always true to himself. But we all know about that. We all see the Yes Network. We all can buy tickets and see Moriano. But the Moriano that I saw, that perhaps you guys, that I know you guys didn't get to see, is the incredible leader and in how intelligent and what a great family man and what a role model he is to me. Um, ever since I arrived in 2004, um, he embraced me. And I can tell you at times that was extremely difficult to embrace me. Um, and he never wavered. And sometimes he'll look at me and he goes, man, I love you, but you do some crazy stuff. <laughs> and I love you unconditionally, but you, know, you have to do X, Y, Z. And uh, there were so many lessons that I learned with Mo that finally in 2015, I'm really beginning to understand. And you know, maybe I'm just a late bloomer or slow learner, um, but I'm glad that I'm really getting to understand some of the great lessons he taught me about. And I will share one thing with you. There's nothing worse than screwing up a game or having a dumb at bat, a not professional at bat in a big situation, or booting a ball. Because I knew if he was coming in from the bullpen, he was going to be livid. And having to face him, <laughs> literally, I would literally go in the laundry room and try to hit him <laughs> and really try not even to run into him. Because the face of disappointment, I knew for the next three days I was cooked. And uh, you know, sometimes he would make a silly move, and I couldn't wait to go see him, you know, if he gave up a big home run or something. I'm like, oh, stupido. <laughs> We're both stupido now. Yeah. And uh, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But uh, I knew, and I, I really feared that the, one of the greatest moments in my entire career was watching his last pitch in Yankee Stadium. I mean, that was theater, right? That was incredible. And Brandon, I knew what he did to our clubhouse, not what he did on the field. I mean, you can always go get someone to get a save or try to do, maybe get three guys to do what he did, but nobody can replace what he did in our clubhouse, what he meant to the kids, what he meant to the trainers, the people that parked our cars. He treated everybody like if they were Joe Torre or George Steinbrenner. Everybody was the same. And I knew that when he left, we were gonna have an enormous vacancy in that clubhouse. And Obviously, we, we did. You're coming back next year? <laughs> you ever thought about, I mean, we were sitting there thinking a little bit about, like, you know. Nope. <laughs> no at all. I can't even move this one. All the, all the feels great, though. My arm never feels this good. Now, I mean, I, I'm done for what, two years already? Seems like 20. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. I did everything in baseball. I did everything that I want in baseball. So when this time came, I didn't miss it. So I don't. I don't miss it at all. Next year, you've probably been working really hard knowing you. Have you been? Has the workout been the same? Take me through that workout, and will we see you next year in pinstripes? Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward for 2016 for a lot of reasons. I, I thought we had a young team, a dynamic team. Um, we have maybe 
half a dozen players that are under the age of 27 that showed real promise. Um, I'm super excited about that. Um, but for me, training as a 40-year-old now, I mean, just to have the privilege to play at 40 like Mariano and I uh, is something that we have to be thankful for the man upstairs because not a lot of people get to play baseball at 40. It really is uh, something that I cherish and I, and, I, and I don't take for granted. But my training at 20 and 30 versus 40 is wholly different. Take us through it. One of the things, Brandon, that, uh, first of all, I thought the rest, the time off for me was a blessing in disguise. Uh, the last five years, I had two hip surgeries, a knee surgery, I was really banged up. I played under, with a lot of pain for those 11, 12, 13. So the forced time out was something that was a great blessing for me in disguise. But the rest, the rehab, and then the training, I kind of broke it up into thirds. And what I started doing, and Mo had been telling me this for years, is the importance of range of motion and flexibility and less is more. And when I was 20 and 30, I would just, my workouts were nuts. I mean, they would start at eight in the morning and they would end at five in the afternoon and I would just bang my head against the wall all day long and included weights and track and throwing and go back. And he's like, man, you're making me tired. Why are you doing so much work, you know? Um, but I realized at 40 that, you know, less was more. And I started, you know, mixing in Pilates and yoga. And yeah, ladies, Pilates and yoga. <laughs> and uh, Soul cycle. A little soul cycle. And, you know, I put a lot more emphasis on range of motion and flexibility. And one of the most flexible guys I've ever played with is Mariano. And he always would make fun of how tight I was and how flexible he was. And in stretch, he can literally put his head on the ground like a gymnast. And I go, man, that's incredible. Well, that explains a lot of why he was able to pitch for so long with that type of flexibility and, and range of motion. Um, so that really helped me when I came back. Is your workout, I mean, did you work out this week? I mean, is it a two, three hour workout or? No, no, I mean, it's not as bad. I, you never shut it down. Look, at 40, if you turn it off, you may never turn it back on. <laughs> so I always try to keep the lights on, maybe dim, but they're always on. Um, but you know, I did yoga this week. Um, I can do spinning. Uh, I'll go lift, I'll go for a run in Central Park. Um, always trying to maintain and then you kind of escalate. Here's the thing that surprised me you know, in, in getting to know you over the last year. You're a businessman. I mean, it amazed me every time, like I'll, whether I'm talking to you or you see, you know, I'm in the middle of doing this, about to buy some apartments, I'm about to buy this building, I've got my Mercedes dealership, though, you, know, you, you got an investment in uh, some health clubs. I mean, where do you get that from and what, where's the drive on that? And do you enjoy the business? Anthony, right? You know, when I was Anthony's <laughs> age, um, I had two dreams, and they both came with wearing a uniform. I wanted to be a major league baseball player, but let's be real, we're not gonna make it to the big leagues, but let's dream, right? I mean, it's just a dream at 10, right? And then I wanted to be a businessman. I wanted to walk down Wall Street, uh, I wanted to go to undergrad and get my business degree and carry a briefcase and put on a suit and walk down Wall Street. I saw people doing that and I thought, man, I want to be one of those guys. But early on, what I, what I realized was I saw several players from the University of Miami having tough knee injuries and all of a sudden, boom, their career was over. And you start seeing that the average career in the NFL is three and a half years and for us it's seven years. And then you start looking at data and I started looking at data and I started seeing, you know, these athletes, they make 80 or 90% of the money from 20 to 30. And then I said, what happens from 30 to 80? Um, I thought it was important to educate yourself, read, knowledge is power. And 
at a very early age, Brandon, and I talked to Mo early about this, about my apartments and this and that, I felt like, look, I never dreamed I was gonna play this long. And I never dreamed I would make how fortunate I would be financially. But at 22 and 23, I remember, I'll never forget this, I was so nervous, that was when I was in Seattle, and uh, I was doing well, but not incredibly well. I took a big portion of my net worth, and I bought 60 apartment units. And I got this idea from Ricky Henderson, because Ricky told me, you know, I buy apartments, and I'm not the landlord. He said, I own the land. You know, I said, okay, great, so. And by the way, everybody thinks Ricky, Ricky's one of those, he's a smart cat. Yeah, yeah. He's a smart cat. So what I said is, if all goes wrong, I'm 23, 24 years old, I'll do a 15-year mortgage, and in 15 years, I will have no debt, I would own 60 apartments, and if it pay me $1,000 a month, I'll have 60,000 for the rest of my life to live in every month. I said, that sounds fundamentally, I don't need to go to Stanford Business School for that. So that was my plan, and I was so nervous. And, uh, you know, sure enough, I still have those, well, I actually, I sold those apartments well, now. But the, the, but the 60 is in the thousands of apartments? No, or, when I first bought but my But right now, though, like, but your, oh, your portfolio. Yeah, now I've been doing it for a it's long an, time. We're, we're, it's I've an open forum here, I mean. <laughs> you, I mean, We started small. <laughs> But you've done pretty well on the real estate. Yeah. You love the real estate. I, I love it. Look, I love the art of getting a deal done. Um, I love, um, in order to win a championship in baseball, you need great players. You need a great closer. You need 25 guys. And I know it sounds like a cliche, a cliche, but you're only as strong as your weakest link, the 25th man. And when you formulate a business plan and you have to read everything and you have to be prepared and there's no shortcuts and you have to work hard, and you formulate it, you're only as good as your teammates and the people in the front line managing these great assets that you're gonna hopefully buy, like Warren Buffett says, and own for 40 years. I love all of that, and it reminds me a lot of baseball in many ways. You've been busy off the field too. Car dealership, you got your foundation. I think I saw you in some sketches. Was that you in the sketches, then? Yes. <laughs> yes. Are you enjoying the business part of it now that you have a little more time to breathe? I know I feel you a little bit more than, but you know, in the season, people don't realize like we would go like sometimes a month without talking because you were so focused on winning on the team. I can't even imagine the pressure. But then it seems like you're now enjoying all these little ancillary things. Are you? Well, yes, a little bit though. But again, I'm, I'm focused on what I have to do, and, and those things will be for my kids. You know, they can do that stuff. I'm, I really want to do what I, what I left baseball for. That is basically help them. Because I mean, uh, I think that uh, uh, at 45 that I am, uh, definitely want to, to do the much that I could for, the, for others. You know, and that is making sure that uh, if I had to be shoveling, to someone that, uh, that needs me to be shoveling to help them, I do that. You know why? Because I mean, I remember when I came here, I didn't have none of that stuff, nothing. But just the desire to, to do something good. And I wasn't expecting, like Alex said, I wasn't expecting to play so many years in the big leagues. I, will ha I was happy to, to play five years in the big leagues. All of a sudden, 19 years came by, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, here I was playing at 43, and uh, amazing. But again, you know, I mean, the business size, I mean, I, I think that I did that, yes, to help my kids. But the most important thing for me 
is just make sure that I do right for others. Listen, if there, it is snowing, and obviously it's a blizzard, I just want you to know that, not to call me. Um, <laughs> but I'm talking about other people though, because he will call and really, but your son, Junior, great kid, we've, we've watched him grow. Is it pressure? You know, to be your son, what, how's that relationship work? He's now playing minor leagues for Washington. Graduated, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, with right. a degree. Yeah. Right? First, right. Yeah. Is that the first uh, in your family, first one, right? Yes. right? So yes. you're very proud. Yes, I am. I am. Great Matter kid, by so the way. Proud, great, great so kid. I'm so proud that I, I'm, and that's why, that's why I'm, I'm so strict when it comes to education, because I want him to finish. You know, last year he was signed with the New York Yankees. And uh, not because it was the New York Yankees, but uh, I said no. No, because I want him to finish uh, school. And uh, he, might, he wasn't happy with my, my, my answer. But at the same time, I told him, well, baseball has limitations. You know, Alex said that anybody, any injury can happen, and there, there's your career. You know, but education, it will remain there until the day you, lie, you, you die. But can he come to you for advice? I mean, can you, oh yeah, he does. He does. Although he does when he's in trouble. <laughs> he does when he's in trouble. But it's good though because he knows where he, where he can come to, you know. But he barely comes to me when it comes to that because I mean uh, he wants to build his his own world, his own name, his own brand. I guess. Yeah. You know, and I'm and I'm so glad that he. I mean. He signed for the Nationals. Another thing that is not the New York Yankees, because he will be under my shadow. You know, I didn't want that for him. I want him to be treated fair, just give, get, give the chances that he deserves, but not because of me, just because of what he has earned. So he, he knows about it, and he has done well for that. You know, we were talking about the hole, you know, before Mariano came on, but. I'm at a World Series game, and maybe, I don't know, I think I saw this straight. We, you're with Rob Manfred, the commissioner. Mm -hmm. It seemed like, I mean, it's, you know, a year and a half ago, you know, you're in that tussle with MLB, and now all of a sudden you're with the commissioner. I was almost like shocked. I was like, wow, mm -hmm. how does that come about? What's the relationship with you now and, and Major League Baseball and with the commissioner? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible, Brandon. Think about where I was two years ago. Um, you know, Rob Manfred's a great man. Um, I'm incredibly grateful, not only to Rob and Tony Petit and his whole, you know, central office, but the Yankees to even give me an opportunity to come back and play baseball. Um, it's amazing when you have a whole year to think about what's important. And to think they gave me an opportunity to come back and, and write the last few chapters of my playing days is, is incredible. But we gave a million dollars to the Boys and Girls Club. Um, that's something that's really important to me, like Mariano has his church. and uh, The Boys and Girls Club, if, if it wasn't for the Boys and Girls Club, I would not be a Major League Baseball player. It was a place that took care of me well. My mother served tables at Latin America and Miami. And you know, talking to the commissioner, he has a lot of initiatives that he really wants to put forth. And we've already seen how great the game is going to look. I mean, he's a real forward thinker. Um, and he has some really smart people. Tony Petiti, one of the smartest people I've ever met that's gonna really put the game in the forefront. Our, our game is really healthy, but they're really focused on some in initiatives. And youth baseball, Anthony, is right in the top of the list. And that's something that we share uh, great common. It's a common ground for us. And the thing about baseball is, you know, I think Rob and Tony, they're not just looking to find 
the next future Hall of Famer or the, even the next future Major League Baseball player. As ambassadors of the game, we want kids playing baseball as much as possible, as young as possible. Because if you think about baseball, I mean, there's a romance about baseball. There's a seduction about baseball that's just like no other sport. Is the grass, is the cold spring, is the hot summer, is the incredible fall. And to see where you have your son, I know how much you play with your son Daniel. The thing about baseball that even if you don't make it to the big leagues, and look, numbers say you're probably not gonna make it, right? But it's a great teacher. Baseball is a great teacher of life and the virtues that you need in baseball, the discipline, the patience, the teamwork, all these virtues are exactly what you need to go out and get your college degree and to be a successful, whether it's a policeman or a teacher, or just have an incredible job in our society and be an asset to society. I think when Rob thinks about baseball, he wants to obviously grow our game and both domestically and internationally, but you also want people to have baseball involved in their lives because baseball in your life makes for a better life. Tony Petit, um Rob Manfred's writing guy started MLB, the network, so a really bright guy. And also, in the Boys and Girls Club, you invited. We have the Boys and Girls Club. Let's raise your hand out oh, yeah. there. Let me hear you guys, yeah. So uh, amazing the work. Uh, uh, you, you remember your roots because that was a good safe haven. That, there's nothing like those I better places. remember. <laughs> it's important. It's important. Advice to Alex. He's, he said it, I didn't say it, but he's not a spring chicken anymore, <laughs> right? Was, uh, I mean, you know, you're at the twilight towards the end of your career. Yeah. You haven't been through that. What advice do you give Alex, you know, that, that, you know, as he moves towards the end and then moves to the after career? Well, I mean, my advice is, is he knows. And, and the thing as getting to his uh, end of his career is just enjoy, you know, enjoy and, and just do what you want to do for others. You know, because yes, he has played so many, so many years, and that's a blessing. But uh, we have Anthony, we have here my boy Angel back there, and we have so many youngsters that look up to him and to many others. You know, and you not only representing yourself or his culture, his people, our Latin people. But all these youngsters here, they want to be like him, wants to be like us. You know, so always think of that. I always say, you know, I always think of those ones before you act. You know, and, and the way I saw him play this year, that's the way that I taught him many years ago. <laughs> many years ago. You know, just enjoy the game, you know, because, and this, this, but that's the past, you know, the past, we just, we just learn from that and we move on. You know, now we have so many other three, four, I don't know how many he has left, but whatever the Lord gave him, I want him to just enjoy and now see the youngsters and do it for the youngsters. So when he finished, they say, wow, I wanted to be like him. You know, that's, that's, and enjoy, simple, simple. Can I share one story with sure. you? Sure. So, when I was a youngster, um, you guys remember the era of NBA was so popular with Magic Johnson with the Lakers and Larry Bird with the, with the Boston Celtics. Do we remember that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was just an incredible era, and you remember the games on CBS on Sundays, and you'll watch the game, then you go outside and try to make 100 layups, and, you know, it was just an awesome time. And for whatever reason, I just wanted to be the next Magic or the next Bird. And, 
um, I quit baseball. I quit baseball for about probably six or eight months. And I was for sure destined to say, okay, I'm gonna be playing in the wood, I'm gonna be shooting a jump shot. My mom was incredibly upset with me about it and she thought I was making a mistake. So I remember one day my mom, uh, I get a message that says, hey, mom's waiting for you at the house, no boys and girls club, after school, come straight home. I go, oh boy, my mom never misses work. This must be serious, like the principal's office. So I get home and uh, <clears throat> she's waiting for me at the desk, doesn't look very happy. I see she has two lists, two papers, just like you, but she had two and she had a, a silver marker, I'm sorry, a yellow marker. And she says, sit down, and I'm probably about 12, 13, uh, kind of the age you feel like you know it all. And she brings out an NBA roster. And probably, I don't know how many names, 500 names. I'm like, well, this is the weirdest drill we're doing. Why are you guys <laughs> work for this? So she gives me the pen, and she goes, okay, go out and highlight every name that's a Dominican player in the NBA. I said, what, Mom? Oh, okay. So I go down and, I, I mean, I scan this thing hard. Like, <laughs> like if I was auditing someone, right? Not one, and I spent about 10 minutes on it. Then I went back and forth. I turned on the light brighter, nothing. So then she hands me the Major League Baseball roster, and she goes, do the same thing, highlight every Dominican player. So after around 70 or 80, I said, okay, Mom, I, I get the point. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'll give it another six months. I'll go back to playing baseball, and, and the rest is history. Well done. <laughs> well, moms are so important. And your, par your parents, I mean, you're, you came from very humble beginnings yourself. And do you think that that work ethic, you know, going on the fisher boats, coming from, you know, a small village, not having anything, is that what makes you who you are today? The, the appreciation, the gratefulness? Definitely, definitely, because I have a great foundation, although I didn't have nothing, but I have a, a father and a mother that was there, and a grandpa that was there for me strongly, that uh, to me, he was like my father. So I have a great foundation, you know, respect, always uh, the whole thing, the please, the thank you, the all that stuff, but uh, uh, make sure that when you do something, always do your best because you represent us. So I always, always keep that in mind. You know what I mean? Even when I, even when I left uh, Panama, that was the first time that I was traveling away from Panama, you know, jumping up in a plane. I never been in a plane before at 20 years old. That's okay? the first time? First time. So I mean, uh, all that great uh, teaching that I got when I was a youngster, uh, I had to use it, I had to use it quick. Because I mean, first of all, I didn't have no, my language have limitations. You know, because I mean, I had no, no English. I know. Everything was Spanish. You know, now it's still, it's hard. You know, so I mean, uh, back then it was extremely hard. He was a little bit of a slow learner. You've been a pretty quick learner though. I was forced. I was forced, yeah. but I would, uh, that's what I, that's what I take pride of, because I mean, uh, if I would have been uh, not disciplined and not committed to this, I never learned. But I pushed myself. I said, well, and that happened in 1991 when I was, I was playing in North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina. And we have like six, seven guys from Venezuela, Puerto Rico, the Dominican, and two Panamanians. 
and they were older than me. So they were hanging on their own, you know, and uh, I was basically the youngster, so I was kind of left behind. But at the same time, uh, it was hard, though, yeah. because no English, and uh, my guys don't want to hang out with me. So I said, well, I had to learn how to speak English. You know, no more Spanish until the season is finished. And I did. I did. Thank God for a, a teammate uh, called uh, Tim Cooper. He, uh, he, he teach me a lot, and uh, we both teach ourselves because he wanted to learn Spanish and I wanted to learn English. So, but that was the great thing. But the foundation that I got from my parents, it was something that I, uh, what is the reason, thank God, that I'm here and oh, the way that I am. Because, I mean, I learned. I learned quick. You know, my father was real strict. And my father didn't pass me one. And if I was doing something wrong, I, he let me have it quick. So I wish he was there, though. So <laughs> he would have got it, too. <laughs> Where do you go from there? <laughs> um, what are your hopes and dreams? What for your future? When you, you know, um, this was obviously a big year. Um, and a, a lot of people were questioning, you know, saying, wow, what's, what's up with Alex? Like, um, we saw a completely different Alex this past year. And obviously, I think everybody would agree, you know, we love what we saw. It's just amazing, really. What's your hopes and dreams for your future? What, do we, what can we expect from you going forward? What do you, what, what do you think that uh, on the field and off the field you want to accomplish? Well, on the field, uh, I want to continue to build what 2015 was all about and, uh, you know, remain grateful and happy <clears throat> and just um, really appreciating every moment, appreciating my teammates. Um, one of the things that made me feel the best this year um, was Mo came in I think in September, and he had an event at Yankee Stadium. And every time he comes in the clubhouse, he's always screaming, where's Alex, where's Alex? And I'm always trying to hide or something. So, but this time <laughs> he found me, and he just basically said, Alex, um, I'm proud of you, and uh, you're, doing, you're doing it right. And I know that he would never BS me. He never has, and coming from him have obviously meant the world. It was real validation. So obviously continue um, my attitude for 2015. And in the future, my, my biggest responsibility now is to pay it forward. Uh, I've been so fortunate. Uh, so many people have done so many great things for me to be in this position. And a lot of my mission is around you know, helping grow baseball for the kids. Uh, obviously, my involvement with the University of Miami. I, I continue to sit on the board of trustees there. And I really want to get involved with, I've been involved very heavily with the baseball and, and the sports department. I want to get involved more so with the business school. And, uh, you know, we've sent over 25 kids. We've put them through college at both the University of Miami and Florida International University. First immigration kids just like me. Uh, a lot of them who are alumnus, alumni from the Boys and Girls Club. So, you know, like Mo, I have a lot of aspirations, um, you know, post-baseball. And I just want to finish uh, just like I did this year in 2015. You know what amazes me about you? I mean, I I mean, if you jaywalk, that's on the back page of the post, you know, or some, maybe a girl you may have dated or whatever, but we never hear, we, you know, it's amazing how many good things you've done and we rarely hear. Is there a reason why you, with all the giving and the stuff, you kind of are always low-keying that? Is that something that you've... Early on, 
when I, when I started thinking about either building our foundation or partnering up with great organizations that are really good at what they do, like the Boys and Girls Club, the University of Miami, um, different youth leagues, I've done things here with Columbia University. Uh, I wanted to completely keep it stealth. That was my plan. I didn't want anyone to know. I think that's the only plan that actually really worked out. <laughs> Nobody knows anything. <laughs> so. It's, it's just amazing. I mean, I, I was, we were, you know, we were in a hospital. Mariano and I were in a hospital. Remember, we did the hookup. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and one of the supervisors says, do you want to see the Alex Rodriguez wing? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I call you up and I say, Alex, I, when did you donate money for a wing? He says, what hospital are you talking about? I said, you don't know. I mean, really? I, like, he goes, well, I know, but I, you know, I, don't, I don't really want to broadcast that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I, I get the sense that as I'm kind of poking around, you've done a lot of those kinds of things. Do you purposely keep that low key? I think so. I think that's, or, that's part of the key of paying it forward. Is, uh, and I learned this from Mo. It's not, you know, what you do and you tell people is what you do and you tell no one. And, uh, you know, to me, that's really uh, where the blessing is, right? To be able to help people when nobody knows about it and you keep that a secret. And if they want to share it, that's their, alter you know, that's their prerogative, not mine. It's amazing. I know you have big dreams and aspirations. What's the dreams you have for your family, for you? You know, I'm Jewish. I love going, yeah. Um, we're not gonna get into a Jewish Christianity conversation, but whew, long car rides, traffic, not good. You should not be working at Shabbat yeah, already. Not good. <laughs> He always says, it's Shabbos, are you okay? Is it okay if I call you? I'm like, it's okay, you call me. Um, but, <laughs> <we've had laughs> but I love going to your church. I mean, I love, it's such a vibrant, I mean, it's such an uplifting experience, really. I've never gone to church to, for, a, you know, just for, without it being a funeral or something like somebody's getting married, but it's just an amazing experience. And it is a, you had told me about what you wanted. You know, told me what you wanted to do. We had a Jerry Seinfeld moment. I was like, "There's no way this is gonna happen," and it happened even better than what I thought. The place is just so spiritually off the hook. Amazing. <laughs> what are the hopes and dreams? Like, where do you go from there? You built this amazing uh, church, and it's almost like a community center. What's next? What's next? Well, um, what's next is a community center. I wanted to build a community center for the youngsters down there. You know, because a lot of kids, a lot of kids there on the streets that uh, are our responsibilities to make, uh, make place for them and make uh, uh, a place where they can come and feel home, kind of like Alex did with uh, Boys and Girls Club. So, I mean, I think that we have a tremendous opportunity to build something there that is legit for these kids to come aboard and, and, and just learn and, and have the opportunity to become a, a, a plus in the community. So, I mean, that's, that's my goal. That's my, uh, uh, my desire, and uh, uh, it's gonna happen. God knows it's gonna happen. So, I mean, I have to be waiting patiently and, uh, and uh, see things, uh, how they develop, but at the same time, just pushing you, you know, to do stuff so you can uh, donate and, and, uh, and um, create this great uh, opportunity for these uh, kids in New Rochelle. It's going to be amazing. Great work, yes, really. Well, we have covered a lot. Um, let's give you kind of a final word if you have, you know, you know what do you? Well, I, I, I like to just tell them about 
the technology center we built in Miami at the Boys and Girls Club. And obviously, it's very dear to my heart because it's where I grew up as the one right in Coconut Grove in Miami. And many years ago, we built, um, I helped build the technology center, which was a computer center that we all needed. And the idea was you finish school, you go and do your homework, and then go play baseball. And as a result, we had a charter school that approached us and said, hey, can we build a charter school? Because in the daytime, uh, you're not getting any use for this building. So we said, sure. So we have 400 kids or so, um, and they're at the charter school at the Boys and Girls Club. And the money we generate from this program helps sustain the whole Boys and Girls Club. So we backed up to an incredible business model. So as a result, uh, the million dollars is going to an extension that we're building, and we're hoping to go from 400 kids to 1,200 kids. And it's been an incredible program for the charter school and the boys club, and we're really maximizing the, the efforts. And now, as a result of that program, and we really got lucky, we hit the lottery with this, is other programs, uh, we are working with Boys Club National, and we wanna roll it out across the country, because it's really a great way to use our resources, our square footage, and the technology centers, and kind of double dip, and let that income help sustain all these boys clubs. So we're very excited about that project. That's great work. That's great work. Yeah. That's awesome. Final words, something that you want to share? My final words for the youngsters here, that are like Anthony and my boy Angel back there, that are, and many others here, and up there too, that uh, you have a dream. You know, yes, uh, continue chasing that dream. Don't, don't give up, because there are going to be people out there that will tell you, like they told me, uh, that you don't, you're not good to do that. So, I mean, uh, you have to believe, and also you have to trust the Lord, because he, he opened the doors that no man can open, and he will close doors that no man can open. I mean, open the doors that no man can close, and close the doors that no man can open. So, I mean, uh, uh, I did. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a living uh, uh, testimony of that, of the mercy of God and how he used you in amazing ways. So, I mean, just... Uh, yes, Continue chasing your dream. Do not give up school, okay? Please, for I don't care for you the best thing that happened in baseball. Do not give up school, okay? Just graduate and continue playing baseball. It's been amazing, Alex. It's been amazing. I mean, and it is all about second chances. It all is about never giving up, being the person you want to be. I were shocked a year, a little over a year ago when we were talking. I really I was like, I don't know, can this guy possibly do this? And I just cannot believe the focus and commitment to being the person you want to be. It's so, so exciting to see the work in progress. And um, it's, it's a great story. You know, it really is a great story. Thank you. I'm glad I don't have to do it again because I don't think I can do it. <laughs> that, that was exhausting, that's for sure. But I want to echo what Mariano said. Um, if you, the kids upstairs, Daniel down here, uh, Anthony, um, if you take one thing away from us is, is education, education, education. Uh, I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, Natasha and Ella, and <clears throat> I started with my oldest when she was 4, she's now 10, and I started playing a little game with her and I said, Natasha, for every book that you read, I'm going to give you 5 bucks. Never did I think that this would be such an you know, expensive proposition for me. <laughs> and she's probably read close to uh, maybe 100 books. And she's already dreaming of going to Princeton and 
Harvard for her master's and Stanford for her PhD. And of course, her mother has a, a master's. Um, but it's okay to be poor, but you, your dreams don't have to be poor. You can dream big. And number 42 right here and number 13 right here, if we did it and you just rewind 40 years or 35 years and see where we came from, he's probably in a fishing boat. I'm probably at the Boys and Girls Club. And if we made it, uh, Anthony, I know you can make it, buddy. So I believe in you. I believe in you guys. And, you know, best of luck.